I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of, of course, the 90min football family. And aren't you guys in for a treat? A second edition of the podcast today, because earlier today we spoke about my summer transfer wish list. I broke down to you four or five players that I wanted to see Arsenal move for this summer. And one of them was Kai Havertz. Now, I had no idea at the time that David Ornstein was going to drop the bomb later on in the day, confirming that Arsenal have made an approach to Chelsea for Kai Havertz and that he is very much a player that the Gunners are interested in. We'd heard rumours and murmurs in the past, but for me, it was about drawing up a wish list. I didn't think it was necessarily something that stood a great chance of happening. However, I'm not saying it's done and I'm not saying that we're anywhere close to being done with this particular negotiation, but it does appear that there are some legs in this. And so I thought, who better to join me uh, than my good friend, podcaster, broadcaster, writer, Daniel Childs of the Son of Chelsea uh, channel. Um, Daniel, i got to be honest, mate. You, for me, are, are the, the perfect person for this because when it comes to Chelsea, I always feel like from you, I get a nice balanced analysis and you love your club and you care for them deeply. But I always really value your opinions and the way you break things down. And so I really wanted to speak to you above anybody else to make sure that we got the full lowdown on the Kai Havertz situation because mm -hmm. he is a player that has divided opinion. So first of all, I guess the first point I want to put to you and, and I guess the first question I want to ask you is, were you surprised earlier this afternoon when David Ornstein reported that Arsenal had made an approach to Chelsea for Kai Havertz? Thanks for that lovely intro, by the way. Um, a little bit surprised. Um, not so much that clubs would be interested in Kai Havertz because Real Madrid had shown potential interest. Um, he was one of many players, as we know, with Chelsea who are looking to offload quite a few players from the squad this summer that, that could be on the move. And there also is the context of him getting closer to the end of his contract. It's not as drastic as 12 months left, but you're getting to that stage now with two years left on his deal that he signed in 2020, which means that you a lot of clubs get into this stage where you're either going to extend their contract or you're going to sell them because this is kind of the last chance to get a big fee for them before you go into the final 12 months, a little bit like the, the Mason Mount situation we're seeing right now. So I wasn't entirely shocked that a number of clubs at least are interested in the possibility of, of signing him this summer. Before we go into like the player himself and, and the real ins and outs and the sort of the trials and tribulations, if you like, of his Chelsea career so far. As a Chelsea fan, does it annoy you a little bit that, for example, Mason Mount could be Manchester United bound and now Kai Havertz could be, and, and I say could because mm. it's far from being done, could be headed to North London. Does that does that sit right with a Chelsea supporter knowing that you could potentially be strengthening rivals? Yeah, I think it would be a massive change in kind of the dynamic of how Chelsea sell or lose players to rivals. You know, if you think about recent years, and I think the the Chelsea to Arsenal kind of route that we've seen in the past, I guess you'd go decade back from, say, Petr Cech, through to like David Luiz, Willie Angelino this season. Um, there's a sense that Chelsea had got the best out of those players and it was time for those players to move on. And even though there was a little bit of bitterness or kind of frustration that they'd be going to a, a rival, you know, you, you've extracted the most from them. This would be, I think, a sign that maybe the the placing of Chelsea on the transfer food chain may be altering a little bit because you would take two players, Mason Mount and Kai Havertz, and you'd be selling them off to, to at least what you deem to be close rivals um, and see their prime years elsewhere. You know, that's not something that we've seen from Chelsea. If we're talking about like the top players, I'm more frustrated with the Mason Mount situation than I am with the Kai Havertz situation. I think that's one that's just a bit sad at this point uh, with Mount. But yeah, it's, it's, I think it would, it would definitely be a shift, I think, in the sense of losing your key players 
at a key point in their career or even before they reach their prime years is is the potential that you lose with that can be potentially damaging in the upcoming years if you don't replace those players properly. I'm I'm interested to know what you've made of of Kai Havertz's time at Chelsea so far. Now, we've done the 90 min show together on numerous occasions and you'll know that I rate Kai Havertz. This isn't me sort of dancing up and down and and sort of building up a player that I don't rate because he's being linked with Arsenal. I've I've always consistently said that I think there is a real talent there. I go back to his time at Bayer Leverkusen and I thought he was excellent. And when mm. Chelsea signed him, I was a little bit disappointed that they'd managed to get a hold of him. It hasn't really worked out for one reason or another. And we'll we'll get into that as well a little bit later on. But I mean, what have you how would you summarize, I guess, Kai Havertz's time at Chelsea? Because regardless of whether he ends up at Arsenal or not, it does feel like it's coming to an end. He is one of the weirdest players in the sense of kind of a, a conflict when you actually look at his Chelsea career because there's there's no getting around it. If he was to leave Chelsea this summer, he will leave with one of the most important and historic goals in the club's entire history. There's You could argue it's the, the second most important goal of our history. Maybe, you know, that there are previous ones. You know, I, I know some people will look back to the... 03 game against uh, Liverpool just before Roman Abramovich took over the club. Um, I think that was Jesper Gronkiar or, or Marcel Desailly's goal. But, you know, we're talking Champions League, Didier Drogba in Munich and now Kai Havertz in Porto. And obviously he scored some big goals since then. He has had this ability at a young age to score big goals for Chelsea. The conflict with that is that if you look at the average Kai Havertz performance, the average Kai Havertz showing in a Chelsea shirt, it doesn't reflect those big game performances. You know, you would expect for a player who's able to pop up on those big occasions to be one of your shining players on a weekly basis. Kai Habert simply has not been that. And I think it's very hard for his biggest fans, some of whom I know quite well, to kind of argue against that because his output, his levels of performance at times have been really frustrating. And there is a a serious conversation, not only Chelsea-based, um, regarding what he is as a player, which I think is is something that at his age, even though he still is a, a young player with years to go, is concerning for someone who is is hyped up as much as he is. Um, so I'm not going to disagree with you. I think there is absolutely talent there. He has shown it in flashes at Chelsea, but I don't think fans like myself are being hyperbolic or, or being silly when we analyze his three years at Chelsea, where we've seen a lot of him, and it's kind of like, how long are we going to persist with this project um, when we could invest time into more effective players? Makes sense. Uh, it certainly does. Um, just a quick reminder before we continue to break this story down. Uh, there is a poll in the live chat going at the moment. Would Kai Havertz be a worthwhile signing for Arsenal this summer? As it stands, 58% of you say yes, 42% of you say no. Uh, we've got over 250 of you with us live right now. Only 52 likes on the board, though. Let's try and get that up as high as we possibly can. You mentioned there, Dan, that you don't really know or, or there is a conversation around what Kai Havertz actually is. I look at Kai Havertz as someone who is actually quite versatile in the forward line. I don't know what Kai Havertz is exactly, but I know what he isn't. And I don't think he is an out-and-out goal scorer. And I don't think he's an out-and-out centre-forward. I think we can agree on that, right? To an extent, yeah. Um, but I I don't think at times... I, I think it becomes a little bit of... Um, I'm not saying you're doing this, but I think the, the word I'd use to describe it is gaslighting around Kai Havertz's criticism. is like, I've watched him play very well as a centre forward. If you actually watched his game, I believe it was last night for Germany against Ukraine, he scored a goal that a lot of number nines would like to score. It was a long ball. He kind of muscled his way into position and finished it. And if you look at some of his goals for Chelsea, airily, he, 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 because of his height, he proves to be quite dominant. So I don't quite buy the idea that he can't play as a centre forward um, or that his failings are purely because he's been miscast as a centre forward. I think that it's, I think it's convenient. If if you're a big Kai Havertz fan, I think that's a nice thing to kind of say. And maybe going to another environment will prove that. But I, I, 
I, I don't I think that's my big problem with Kai Havertz. I, I don't think it's as simple as saying, well, he needs to play this way. Because another funny thing about the Kai Havertz Chelsea conversation is that throughout his time at Chelsea, it feels like wherever he's playing currently is not where he should be playing. And yeah. then once he's moved into the position that everyone says he should be playing, no, actually he needs to go back to that position. Now, I know this is a broader conversation around Chelsea mess and Chelsea's lack of um, coherent planning with squads and changes in head coaches, which I will concede will impact a lot of players. But I just, again, get back to this thing of, I, I don't, when people say, well, he's not a striker, I kind of go, well, what is he then? Because I, I don't, you know, I don't think that an, every, I know the natural instinct is to say number 10, but I don't know. I don't think he impacts the game enough. Just, I, I don't think he proves to be a, an effective enough player. So when I say I don't think he's an out and out goal scorer, it doesn't mean I don't think he should play through the middle of a forward line. Yeah. What I mean is, for example, there are different types of center forwards. Okay. There are center forwards who, are really great at linking up play, who have the license to drift into alternative areas, who bring the best out of the players around them. Arsenal had one of those in the past in Alexander Lacazette. You know, that you couldn't play him anywhere else. He wasn't a winger, hmm. but he didn't score enough goals to fall into the category of out-and-out striker, lethal finisher, etc., etc. It's gone back to France and he's done that, but obviously we're talking about another level there. The point I'm trying to make here is that I think Mikel Arteta's idea of a centre-forward is not necessarily the traditional out-and-out striker that we would automatically think of. And I think there are parallels to between Kai Havertz and Gabriel Jesus. For example, both of them came to the Premier League and were put in a lot of the time at centre-forward. You'd say of both of them that they don't score enough goals for being in strong sides and playing in that position. What you could say about both of them is that they're really intelligent. You can say that both of them are quite happy or comfortable to go left or right, i.e. to drift out of their position. Both of them are quite happy and comfortable to drop into deeper positions. And and I think as a and I think the point I'm trying to make here is that in terms of what Kai Havertz is in comparison to Gabriel Jesus, there are quite a few similarities which to me means he fits because one of the problems that Arsenal had last season, particularly during the back end of Jesus's long absence after that injury picked up at the World Cup, was that it really started to impact our build-up play. I think Kai Havertz, for me, has a greater aerial presence than Gabriel Jesus as well, which is something that we're probably missing in the centre-forward area. And so the point I'm saying is that when I hear people go, well, he's not a striker and we don't know what his position is, I don't think Mikel Arteta moves for this guy mm. if he doesn't have an idea of where he fits. And I believe that he looks at him and goes, yes, he can play through the middle, but he can play from the left and he can play from the right and he can play as a 10. And maybe at times he could play as one of our eights when yeah. Arsenal play with that freedom that they seem to give to Martin Odegaard, for example, in that position. So I'm not, the, the point I've gone around the houses to make is that I'm not massively concerned by the conversation of what is Kai Havertz. Because I think one of the things that Arteta is desperate to do this summer is to add versatility, flexibility. And I think Kai Havertz ticks those boxes or at least a lot of those boxes. Do you, do you agree with that or do you disagree with that? Yeah, I think he has a lot of traits that are very um, relevant and effective in the modern game. I think he, he can be a very great and intense presser off the ball, you know, and I think that's something you need to have as a forward in the modern game, particularly with a lot of these clubs. It's not just a, a Man City or a Liverpool thing, as we've seen with Arteta. That That's something that Arsenal do very well. I will concede that I, I think that, you know, you look at a more settled environment with Mikel Arteta, who does have a clearer plan. There's a coherent thinking and and kind of just just feeling around that club that is just at least for the previous season has felt like the antithesis to what's been going on at Chelsea and I think we have had discussions at 90 min with the likes of Grizz and Scott before about this that you know you take players and put them in different environments and as well you can't always limit a player based on what they're doing now because that may just be due to their coaching instructions uh, and when you put them into a different system with different players around them, 
they they prove to be a lot better. I'm not, you know, don't get me wrong. My criticism of Kai Havertz a lot of the time is because I do rate his talent very highly. I think there is a very, very good player in there. Um, I think my frustration comes from just a lack of consistency. It, you know, contrasting it with a player who was also at Chelsea um, on loan in the second half of the season, who I have major criticisms of, uh, Joao Felix. You know, I, I think I would always have Kai Havertz over Joao Felix because my big problem with Felix is I think he's one of these very aesthetically pleasing players, but off the ball leaves a lot to be desired and doesn't have, I even think, the end product of Kai Havertz, which I don't think is, like, incredible. Um, so... I, I can see where, like, I, you know, even my criticism of Kai Havertz, I could see why Mikel Arteta would see him as a a very valuable addition to what is already quite a, a unified squad that, you know, overperformed last season. There's this sort of narrative that I think has really gathered pace over the last few hours since this story uh, broke, which is, well, although Chelsea are saying they want 70 million, or although that's what's reported, uh, by David Ornstein, that because of their need to sell this summer, they will probably allow this deal to happen at a lot less. Can you just clarify what the situation at Chelsea is? Is there a need because of FFP to sell? Is there a deadline on that? Or is it simply that we all look at the squad and think it's overbloated? And so it makes sense that Chelsea would need to move players on. So there is a financial reality. FFP, Chelsea have to sell players um, for it to cap, basically for it to count in the 22-23 financial results. Um, June the 30th is the deadline for that. So we're obviously sort of rapidly getting closer to that deadline now. And there is absolutely a need to sell players. But just by saying that, it isn't a case where Chelsea are just going to sell everyone and any offer that comes in, they're going to to let go. I, I know the Arsenal fans, as you know, as we do when we're looking at players we want to sign, you know, maybe you aren't as kind of up to date with other stuff that's going on and, and deals can very much influence others. So for instance, as I'm sure you've seen, Ingolo Kante is likely going to be going to Saudi Arabia. That's a massive wage off the book, even though we're not getting a transfer fee for him. Matteo Kovacic looks very likely to be joining Man City uh, for a fee that could rise closer to 40 million, maybe under that. Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, a player Arsenal fans know very well, uh, also has interest from Saudi. It looks like Kalidou Koulibaly and Lukaku have very serious interest from Inter Milan. So there is a lot of moving parts in this. The one thing I would say about Kai Havertz to kind of, um, and this is something that came out of the mouth of uh, Matt Law, who was on London is Blue Pod, a great Chelsea podcast. And I definitely just go and you know listen to it if you want to hear his words about Kai Havertz and, and to Arsenal because he spoke about it today was that, you know, it's not as pressing the situation as the Mason Mount one is um, in terms of Mount and Man United know, as many clubs know, you know, you, if you're down to the final year in your contract, and I think, you know, it's the same with Arsenal going in for Declan Rice from West Ham. And this was always going to be the case with Declan Rice, the more West Ham resisted selling him, was you were going to get down to the point where you can't let a talent like that walk out for free. And Chelsea could not let a talent like Mason Mount walk out for free. So... Man United probably feel that they're, they they can find a compromise there because there potentially is a ticking clock that needs to be resolved this summer. I don't think in the case of Kai Havertz, maybe it's the same situation. I haven't got a gauge or firm in, information in terms of whether Mauricio Pochettino sees Kai Havertz as a big player. There is also the context that, you know, we talk about positions. Um, Christopher Nkunku is coming in. And, you know, this is a guy who in some ways is similar to Kai Havertz as someone who can play as a centre forward, can play potentially off the wing, can play behind a striker and uh, is coming in for a lot of investment and a lot of excitement. And um, I, I feel feels a profile of a player that could prove to be more effective than Kai Havertz uh, if it goes well. So, Maybe that helps Arsenal's cause in the sense that, you know, if Chelsea have got someone coming in and they need to cut down um, numbers, Chelsea will look to sell Kai Havertz. But I don't think it will be on the cheap. Like, I, I don't I don't see a position just where I sit right now and based on what I've gauged is that Chelsea are just going to sell him for, say, I don't know, 30 million. I just can't see that situation happening. I could see it happening maybe next summer. But of course, the market changes a lot in 12 months and um, there, there could be a sense from the player's side, from from Chelsea's side, that actually with two years left, if he isn't going to sell, 
if he's going to sign a new contract with Chelsea, this is actually the time to get maximum value. It's whether the maximum value for Chelsea is is a place where Arsenal want to go to compared to other clubs. We're going to throw some questions uh, from the live chat box at Dan uh, in just a few minutes' time. So get them in. Kai Havertz-related questions, obviously. Uh, put a little cue at the start of your question so that it's easier for me to pick it out from the chat. But we, we're saying that we don't really understand the ins and outs of this just yet, that it's all still a little bit unclear. Um, Sammy Mockbell of the Daily Mail uh, has put this out uh, just a moment or or just a few moments ago. It was just after we hit the record button or the go live button. And he says that Chelsea wants 70 million, which is consistent with what David Ornstein said. He said that Arsenal are willing to pay 60 million pounds all in, that personal terms wouldn't be an issue. It would be over 200,000 pounds a week for the German international. The talks are underway and that Kai Havertz is fully open to this move. Is 60 million a fee that you would accept? Would you, if you were Chelsea, Is you said they won't let him go on the cheap. Is 60 million, does that kind of, I don't know, does that satisfy you from a Chelsea perspective for Kai Havertz? I don't know. I mean, on the general, I said this on my show, I think it was last week or the week before, I've kind of decided this transfer window when covering it, I'm not going to get too heated about transfer fees because it's kind of become a, a very farcical situation um, in recent years in terms of what players are actually worth and inflated fees. I, I do think in terms of, if you're just asking me in terms of like, do I think that gets Chelsea closer to agreeing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if there's if if we're if we're looking at the reports of saying Chelsea's valuation is 70 million and this and they're kind of starting, it isn't a starting point apparently. Apparently, Arsenal's offer earlier that was reported was around 40 million. It's it's the same number that uh Man United have bid for Mason Mount. 40 million apparently has been basically rejected from the off from Chelsea. So that's that's kind of that uh, swatted away very quickly. But if they do want to go up to 60 million, yeah, I think it becomes a more serious conversation um, because Chelsea, again, the complex nature of transfer deals, the initial fee for Kai Havertz in 2020 from Bayer Leverkusen was 72 million. But of course, there's a lot of add-ons that, that go into that. I'm sure that would have been boosted by not only his appearances, but his uh, influence in the Champions League for Chelsea. So it wouldn't be recouping the money we get back, but there also is a reality, and this, you know, this speaks to Kai Havertz's kind of performance level. Is that expecting to get seventy million this summer is unrealistic? Probably, there, there's very few clubs who are going to pay that money up front for Kai Havertz, and you know, it. If you're getting sixty, sixty-five million, I think if I was just to sit here and go, well, it, is that good value for him? I think it is. You know, based on um, what he has produced, which is the only thing I can sort of look at at the moment. So, I mean, if you took your Chelsea hat off for a minute, forget that you support Chelsea and you want to see your club benefit from this as much as possible. Forget that I'm an Arsenal fan. If you were looking at this from a completely neutral perspective, what would be the figure? What would be the price that you would put on Kai Havertz's head and say, that's what he's worth at this moment in time in today's market? I think 60 million is probably fair. If I'm taking even my biases out of, you know, criticism of Kai Havertz, I think simply because Chelsea will look at it and like they would with Mount and say, you want to be sort of compensate, compensated for the years of development you're going to be losing with not having Kai Havertz. Um, and especially because you're selling him to a Premier League rival, one of, again, what you'd like to deem as, as not last season in terms of points, but a close rival, a local rival, you know, one that is going to, you know, be hurtful at least to at least to supporters. That doesn't always come into the equation. But I would say sixty million if you're, because I, I know that there had, especially in the previous ownership, there was a massive kind of fear and anxiety of letting young players go too soon after the Kevin De Bruyne thing happened. Um, this kind of loomed over the Callum Hudson-Odoi situation for many years. It's loomed over other players. And I, I assume with Chelsea fans, that will likely be the narrative, is that if we sell Kai Habits now, it's going to be another Kevin De Bruyne situation and he goes somewhere else, potentially to Arsenal and flourishes instantly. Or some people bring up, of, of course, Mohamed Salah as another example. So you need to be compensated for that. And I, I do think £60 million for what Arsenal could be getting for five years, say, if he signs that deal, um, I, I think is a fair valuation. You know, I, I know that Arsenal, as I say, are not 
are not like Man City. They're not like Chelsea. They're, there's not or PSG. It's it, it, this is not a club that usually spends that much in terms of fees or like that goes that high. And maybe there would be kind of a sense that actually are we better kind of looking at other targets? I know you'll know that better than me, but it's it's I that's what I'd say. Maybe I'm being unrealistic, but I, I think that Chelsea, from a business point of view and and financially, would would have concerns if they lost him for less than that. Because I think that would be good value and it, it would mean that Chelsea could potentially use that that money to invest in in other key areas in the in the current squad. I respectfully disagree on the 60 million price point. And, I, and I'll explain why. And I'm I, I'm disagreeing with my own club who are rumoured to be willing to go that high on this player. Now, the, the reason is, I, I like to make comparisons in the transfer market. And I think that sometimes they can be valid and sometimes, you know, the context can be different and it can, it can change things. For example, I think if everybody in their dog knows that you need a centre forward, then they are going to push you and squeeze you and get as much out of you as as possible. I don't think there's a desperate, desperate need for a centre-forward when it comes to Arsenal. I think there's a desperate, desperate need for Chelsea to raise money, and there's a desperate need for Chelsea, I believe, to move on from Kai Havertz, because whatever we say, however much we build up his talent, the signing for Chelsea overall has not worked. Now, I know you referred to a really, really important goal that he scored, and, and I get that, but that could have been... Somebody else on the end of that. I, I wouldn't use that as a barometer to how successful or unsuccessful mm. his time at Chelsea has been based on what they paid for him, based on the investment made in him. I think when you go back to last summer, you look at Gabriel Jesus, who Arsenal managed to get for around about £50 million. At the time of that signing, his stock was so much higher than Kai Havertz is now. Because... Yeah. Yep, he wasn't in in the first team all the time for City, but he'd been a key part of the squad over a, a successful period. And, you know, Arsenal at that point, having lost the Bamiyang, having moved on Lacazette, were desperate for a centre-forward. They went out and got Jesus. How Jesus can cost 50 and then a year later, Kai Havertz, who's had another indifferent season, really, if we're being honest, could be valued at more than that. When they're around about the same age, there's about 12 months in it. It just, to me, it it feels like that's a bit steep. And, and I think that this is one of those situations where Arsenal will, a bit like with Mikhailo Mudrik, set their stall out, make their feelings known, make the approach, speak to the player's side, which shouldn't happen or shouldn't have happened in the past, but does happen now. We all know that yeah. via intermediaries, et cetera, et cetera. And I think Arsenal will submit a couple of offers here probably and then sit back and wait and see where this goes. Yeah. I think for Arsenal fans, one of the big issues, and and I've seen a lot of it in the chat, look, no more than 40, no more than 50, et cetera, et cetera. The problem is, and, and I guess not a problem, but something you should consider is that the likelihood of us selling Balogun this summer is really high. Now, Balogun, you're talking about 30 million at the moment because he's had a great season in France, scoring goals left, right and centre. If you could get 25 to 30 million for him and offset that against what you're paying for Kai Havertz, all of a sudden this doesn't seem like a crazy deal. I've seen some suggest that Arteta wants him in a different position, uh, Havertz that is, and so maybe we're misreading the situation. But I just, I think 60 million is is steep. I really do. I think yeah. that, I think that that's Chelsea and I'm not saying you're doing this, but I think if Chelsea are going to really dig their heels in for 60-odd million, it feels to me like they're almost pretending that the last few seasons haven't happened with Kai Havertz, but they have. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it, no, listen, I, I think that the market is fundamentally broken and I'm not going to sit here and try and deny that Chelsea haven't been a part of, of breaking that market. Um, I Obviously, I don't rate, if I'm being more harsh and critical on Kai Havertz, I don't rate him as highly as, as others do. And... You know, I, I've I've said this before, and this could maybe raise eyebrows and and sound hyperbolic, but you know, there have been many times I've sat there and gone, "Well, if we had Tammy Abraham in place of of Kai Havertz, who would have proven to be a better player?" And I, you know, I I'm a big Tammy Abraham fan, and I think that you know that it is a it is a wild market, and I think that for for Chelsea, I I do think 
I reached a stage and people can find it on my channel. I, I did sort of a video a few weeks back before Pochettino was announced that the players I would let go this summer. And one of those was Kai Havertz because I, I personally have just reached a stage where I've got quite tired of, of what I deem theory players at Chelsea, um, where we spend so long kind of discussing their best positions. And I'm not saying that Kai Havertz is, is solely to blame for why it hasn't worked at Chelsea because we haven't got enough time to speak about why it's gone wrong at Chelsea. Um, but I, I just feel there comes a natural end point when you've got new players coming in, you need to trim down a squad. And also, I, I just have seen enough of Kai Havertz now, I think, to make quite a fair judgment based on what I've seen. It's not like this is a guy who's been out injured or hasn't had enough opportunities to prove himself. Mm. And I, I also just think there needs to be... a a kind of a message at Chelsea across the board, actually, that not being effective coasting through seasons is not going to be tolerated as much anymore. And unfortunately, I, I do put habits in that bracket. You know, um, I, I don't, I wouldn't call him a lazy player. That's not what I'm trying to say. I just, I, I don't think that he has always, um, I think there's been too, there's, there's too much evidence for me of a player who it, it's not enough to say he isn't in the right position. Uh, because actually this season, and I before coming onto the show, I looked at his numbers of appearances. The, the, actually, this season was the, the most amount of minutes he played for Chelsea. Um, and his positioning when he arrived in 2020 under Lampard was originally as a number 10 in a 4-2-3-1. Then briefly before Lampard was sacked as a number 8 on the right of a 4-3-3. Um, and then took, of course, moved him into this kind of 9 position in the 4-2-3-4-2-1. Uh, but then, of course, Lukaku arrives and Havertz is kind of shifted out into this inside forward role. Actually, this season is where he's been most consistent in terms of where people have placed him. Um, he, he has been placed more as a number nine uh, for Tuchel at the start of the season before he was sacked, Graham Potter and then Lampard for the interim reign. So this is probably the the most amount of time throughout the season. I mean, he 79 percent starting 11 this season for Chelsea. I actually looked at his numbers comparatively to Bayer Leverkusen. Um, 150 appearances for Bayer Leverkusen, 139 for Chelsea. 46 goals scored for Bayer Leverkusen, 32 for Chelsea. 31 assists for Bayer Leverkusen, 15 for Chelsea. So actually, you know, when, when we look at the fact that, you know, when he left Bayer Leverkusen, when he signed for Chelsea, there was massive hype around him, around his talent. Those numbers aren't drastically different to what he did at Bayer Leverkusen. I guess the, there is, of course, context that comes into that. And also you would have expected maybe that player to step up a little bit more and, and move on a little bit more from those numbers. Um, he is a player that, if you look for his career, has has streaks throughout seasons. And, and particularly in his first few years at Chelsea and at Bayer Leverkusen, he'd be a player that would kind of save his best form for the last few months of the season. Quite a nice trait as we saw in the Champions League. Uh, but it does become a big frustration when he has long stretches where he isn't performing as uh, competently or, or kind of as, as effectively as you'd want him to um, in those kind of smaller games, as you call it. I know that you're pushed for time. So I want to throw a couple of questions at you that have been no uh, sort of put in the chat uh, by more than one person. Um, so... If you had to describe Kai Havertz's weaknesses, what would they be? And equally, what would his strengths be? What would be the positives that he would bring to, to the Arsenal side should this deal be completed? Mm. I think uh, weaknesses, I think, is not quick enough um, on the ball. He has at times shown an ability to have speed off the ball, uh, but there is a sense that he can very much slow down play. Um, play can sometimes very much grind to a halt with Kai Havertz when it gets when he gets on the ball, and um, for a team like Arsenal, who I think want to play a very quick tempo at times, particularly when they get in the final third, that can be a problem. I think physicality is a big problem too um, for someone who, as I said, at times has shown with his height and and his his um, at times can show aggression, but he can be bossed out of games quite easily. And I think the the problem he has at times is. I'm not comparing him to the talent of Kai Havert, um, of Eden Hazard, because I, I think Eden Hazard is a miles better player. But at times with Eden Hazard, you could watch him in the first like 10 minutes of a game and you could dissect whether he was going to have a brilliant game. And I think in some ways, Kai Havertz is similar in that aspect. Of course, doesn't do it as much as Eden Hazard used to, 
But unfortunately, if, if things don't go well for Kai early in a game, it's difficult for him to kind of revive that kind of performance. It feels like at times he is maybe, to be quite crude, a fair-weather player. Um, he isn't someone I, I don't get the sense he's going to drag your team out of difficult moments. Um, I think there is a, to, to make an Arsenal reference, there is a Meza Ozil type nature to him in that criticism that he can be found wanting in key, in difficult moments. Is his that, strength... Sorry, Dan. Sorry. Is, that, is that something to do with his demeanour, though, as well? Because I yeah, used no, to have no, this no, argument yeah. about yeah. Ozil all the time. Like, he looks disinterested, therefore he must be. But sometimes yeah. it's just the way they carry themselves, isn't it? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, um, I find a lot of that stuff, I sort of roll my eyes when I, I hear that people say the players don't care. I don't think Kai Hamps doesn't care. That's never been my accusation against him. Um, my frustration with him is about effectiveness, like it is with a lot of players. My, when I say about him being muscled out of a game and, and, and maybe going missing, it isn't because he's, he isn't like shouting and screaming. That's not that's not why I get frustrated. It's more in terms of his ability to impact the game in in ways that you'd suspect him to on and off the ball. Moving on to sort of his strengths, I, I do think he is a, a very willing presser, and that's probably why a lot of managers um, have kept playing him at Chelsea, even when maybe his performances haven't warranted that time. Um, I do think in a goal-scoring aspect... He can be quite dangerous aerially, which doesn't, you know, I know that doesn't maybe compute with me criticizing him physically. But if you look at a lot of his Chelsea goals, they have come from headers. Um, and he is he is someone at times he, you do. You are right to say intelligent. I think he is able to at times really float. I think that is the word I'd use. At Kai Havertz at his best. He floats and glides through the pitch. He, he, he finds pockets of space and he's able to glide into areas. I mean, I, I think that not just always reference the Champions League final, but I think overall um, is, it, you know, I think is, is a great performance, but also earlier this season, you know, by, um, by Levin, Borussia Dortmund at home in the second leg of the Champions League, one of Chelsea's very rare, nice moments of this season. He had a really, really good performance. And I think in all aspects, and part of that was his ability to to really fluidly interchange with, with the players around him too. So I, I absolutely, you know, when... When I'm saying a lot of these things and, and just, again, taking my Chelsea bias or habits kind of negativity out of it, I can see a situation, a scenario where with what Arteta has created, he could become a much better player in a more coherent system. And I can understand why Arteta has looked at him as a potential option. I just think that those are the, like he's still in the same league. You know, he's still going to have to deal with those physical problems. You know, it's not, I, I, I would have more confidence like with Timo Werner moving back to Germany at Leipzig, that he adapts to that league more quicker. You may still find with Kai Havertz certain issues that he has had at Chelsea uh, because, you know, he's still going to have to deal with the physicality. And, you know, and Arsenal are now, uh, are now viewed as a, we've, we've had these discussions and debates on 90 minutes, Arsenal are now viewed as a bigger, better team you know, in terms of, of their stature in the Premier League after this season. So there'll be more attention on attackers, Arsenal attackers and, and the way they approach the game. So, yeah, I, I think that it's it's obviously a balanced discussion. And, and I think it comes down maybe as well to aesthetic preference. Sorry to ramble on a little bit, but I also think it is it comes down a little bit to aesthetic preference because I understand there are some people who watch Kai Havertz and love the way he plays the game or love the way he looks on the pitch. Um, and, you know, I, I'm someone who leans more in in, you know, effectiveness what is the end product and unfortunately mm. that sometimes is where habits is is greatly lacking unfortunately dan thank you so so much mate for for giving up some time this evening to join me no uh to talk kai habits i really really appreciate it and your opinion is one i really really value and i have to say i feel a little bit differently about this whole situation than i did maybe two three hours ago where i was on board really on board i'm not saying i'm not on board now or that you know, I've just decided that Kai Havertz isn't a good fit for Arsenal, but you've given me plenty of food for thought. And um, and for that, I thank you. And, and obviously on behalf of the listeners, uh, we thank no you worries. for giving up your time as well. Uh, tell everybody where to follow you, how to keep across all the brilliant content you do. Tell them what you do, basically, so that they can come over, give you a follow and support yeah. the excellent work. No worries. Thank you so much for having me on again. Uh, yeah, as you can see on screen, at Son of Chelsea on Twitter is kind of where I, I sort of deem it the hub for all my work uh, because I've got my YouTube channel, Son of Chelsea, where I upload regular content around Chelsea. Very Chelsea-centric, obviously, which I'm not sure is going to attract many Arsenal fans. But uh, if the Kai Havertz thing rumbles on, I obviously will be referring to that. 
Uh, you can also get the show as a podcast, uh, just Son of Chelsea. Search that in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff. I also uh, write articles for football.london, um, mainly about Chelsea, but I have written a few articles about Arsenal and other London clubs as well. And uh, yeah, I think that that covers most things. I also um, host uh, the Football.London Chelsea podcast, View from the Bridge, and we've had some very good guests on there in recent weeks. So yeah, that's kind of, I think that's, that's, that's most things if we're talking about Chelsea. So uh, yeah, thanks for having me on again. No, thank you, Dan. Uh, thank you for giving up your time. Uh, guys, we're going to take a very, very short pause. We're going to say goodbye to Dan and we'll be continuing the stream for a little bit longer because there's so many of you with us. So many of you want to have your say on this Kai Havertz situation. Uh, we are doing a phone in tomorrow uh, in which you'll be able to really come on and, and sort of have a rant if that's what you want to do about the Kai Havertz uh, story. Uh, but Dan, thank you so much, mate. And uh, we'll catch up soon. All the best, pal. All the best, mate. See ya. Massive thank you to Daniel Childs there from the Son of Chelsea channel, uh, from Football.London and various other places. I said to you guys at the beginning, he's someone whose opinion I really, really do value. And um, it was interesting to hear uh, the Chelsea side of this. So when I got up this morning and I put together my summer wish list, which we spoke about on the podcast, Kai Havertz was on my list because of the reasons that I explained I, I, in this episode as well. I think he is versatile. I think he's a good fit. In that sense, price, that's the problem for me here. £60 million feels excessive, over the top. It's not the kind of money I'd be prepared to pay for Kai Havertz if I were Arsenal Football Club. But isn't there just a part of you now that goes Arteta's talent identification Edu's talent identification and then their ability to go out and get the players that they deem good enough and the right fit for what we are building is something that we should just trust in now. Or is there still a part of you that feels like this is such a potentially toxic transfer that we should be steering well, well clear of it? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I really don't know. Uh, let's see what you guys are saying in the comments. Get some questions in um, from an Arsenal perspective, obviously. Uh, KC says, Harry, the question is, is he better than Enketia because he won't start? And the answer to that question is yes. And I'll tie that in with a question that was put to us a little bit earlier on in the show as well, which we didn't answer at that time, which was, where does he fit into this 11? I, I think it was Sooty that put it in. He said, you put him in your wish list for the summer. So where does he fit in? He comes into the squad as an option for me. He doesn't necessarily displace anyone from that starting 11 permanently. He comes in as an option, as a rotational option. And I really, really strongly believe that we're going to need those types of players having to contend with Premier League and Champions League football. So I think that you know, we're going to need to be able to rotate. And I think that Kai Havertz could fit into that rotation quite well because of, as I say, his ability to play centrally, right, left, maybe even that little bit deeper as well. So I repeatedly say that we need to build on the team that we have and we need to increase the depth and and make sure that the level to which we succumb to when certain players are absent isn't much lower than the general level. and. You know, I, going back to KC's point here, I do think he's more of a fit than Eddie Nketiah in the way that we want to play. Having Nketiah as well is great because you need multiple options. Remember, it's not just the Premier League and the Champions League. I mean, hands up if you want to see Arsenal make a, a better go of the domestic cups as well. We do. Of course we do. So I think the squad needs to be a lot deeper than it is currently. And... um and I just think that sometimes in the wrong environment, you can look a, a much worse player. But having said that, I am very adamant that I don't want to see Arsenal pay more than £50 million for this guy. I think that we'd be buying him based on the talent that he has shown in flashes at Chelsea, but broadly based on the way he performed for Bayer Leverkusen prior to his move to the Premier League. And that is going back a long time ago, which is why I understand there is an element of risk to this. But then there's that voice in the back of my head that says, trust them. If they think he's right, trust them. 
And as was also pointed out in the live chat box earlier on today, we weren't sure about Ramsdale. That's turned out to be a cracking signing. We weren't sure about Ben White, especially not at £50 million. Some of us weren't sure about Gabriel Magalhaes at the price that we paid for him. But time and time again, Arsenal have got these big transfers right. And so if they feel that this is something that they want to do, then maybe we should just back it as well. Or at the very, very least, if you're not going to back it, and in terms of being vocally supportive of it, at least give the guy a chance. And again, that, that PTSD thing kicks in, doesn't it? Another Chelsea reject. Here we go. I actually think Jorginho came in and did a pretty good job in midfield for us this time around and provide a high, provided a higher level of cover than Mohamed Elneny could have or any of the other options we had within our ranks at the time. So, you know, this is a different manager. This is a different regime. This is a different backroom team. And they're not necessarily, because they're looking at Chelsea players, going to be bringing us William Gallas's and Mikhail Silvestres and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, anyway, let's go over to the chat box and, and take a few of your comments for the last sort of 10 minutes of the show. Um, so EFM says Havertz for 60 million or Caicedo for 75 to 80. For me, it's a no brainer. Caicedo all day long. I, I agree that you'd rather have Moises Caicedo come in than Kai Havertz. I think that's that's fair. And, you know, in fact, I completely agree with it. My issue has always been, and I said it on the show earlier today, is that I think Arsenal, internally at least, feel that there are numerous positions that need addressing this summer. Will feel like they need to spread the money that they have available across a number of areas and need to try and get the best options that they possibly can for the money that they have available in each of those individual areas. Signing Declan Rice for £100 million or there or thereabouts, says to me that Arsenal have probably done and at least accounted for the bulk of their spending in the midfield area. I don't think you're going to see them drop 75 million to 80 million on Moises Caicedo. Again, I'll say what I said earlier. I'm not saying that should be the case, but I think that they will want to add in different areas. And that's my concern here. I don't think Arsenal would have to pay 60 million for Kai Havertz, by the way. I think Chelsea's situation will dictate that they will probably need to consider a, a lesser offer. I think my max is 50 because if I compare him to Gabriel Jesus, and I think that's even being generous because Gabriel Jesus, as I mentioned to Dan's value or stock was much higher at the time that we acquired him. Uh, uh, 50 million is the max for me on this 50 million and that's it um no more not a penny more but as i said earlier i think he'd be an, a decent fit and i think there are a lot of qualities in kai habits that if you can extract them and and just fine tune and, and tweak certain elements of his game you could get a really good player out of out of the german because i think there is a really great player in there and I think although there are similarities to Jesus in the way they play, and in and then in theory, that means that the, the transition between the two when you need to rotate won't be massive and unsettling to the rest of the team. I think he also offers some things that Gabriel Jesus doesn't, a greater aerial presence being one of them. But anyway, um, let's see uh, what you guys are saying. Ross Morgan says this is the pure definition of a luxury signing. Well, it would indicate at the very least that Arsenal do have money to burn then this summer. And maybe I'm completely wrong about how far they're willing to go. Um, Louis says, I've, I've seen that we want him as a number eight, but wasn't Kai Sado the guy for that? I'm not convinced that Kai Havertz would be coming in as an eight. I know a lot of people... Have have said that since this news broke earlier on today. I'm I'm not sure I I see that to be honest with you. I think he could be an eight late on in a game when you're chasing the goal in the way that, for example, Leandro Trossard has been plonked in there at times to help us try and break a team down. But I don't think that would be a permanent thing or where he would play the majority of his football. Raybeam says, where does this leave us in terms of Caicedo? Can't see us dropping another 78 mil if we buy Havertz as well. It's why I've consistently said that I don't think we're going to get Caicedo on top of Rice because I think there are other areas in the team, and I'll keep saying it, 
that I think Arteta and Edu internally, at least, believe need addressing before they go out and drop an absolute bomb on another high-value midfielder. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think it leaves us in a great position when it comes to Caicedo. And if anything, you could make the case, couldn't you, that we strengthen Chelsea's position in the Caicedo pursuit because we'd been bankrolling the majority of that deal if we were uh, to, of course, uh, pay this type of money for um, for uh, Kai Havertz. Sean says, I'd say the majority of legitimacy the Chelsea reject criticism had was over the quality of a player we'd previously been tied to. CFC have turned over so many managers, a reject on fit is a less concern. I think that's a really, really good point uh, from Sean there. You know, there's been a high turnover of managers. There isn't really a plan. You know, there are more reasons than just Kai Havertz not being up to it, for example, that you could feasibly attribute to his lack of fulfilling the potential that, you know, maybe people thought he would when he came to these shores. Um, Goon Gang says, Harry, have you fallen out of love with Milinkovic Savic? Honestly, haven't heard his name yet this window. I haven't fallen out of love with him, but I do think the kind of the time to sign Sergei Milinkovic-Savage has maybe passed by. I wasn't impressed by him in the season that just finished um, or as impressed by him as I had been in previous campaigns, which is why my personal interest in him has uh, has cooled a little bit. Harry says, are we rushing too early? I think so. Once transfers start, we'll be able to get good players. For example, rather than spending 50 to 60 million on Havertz, why not sign Joao Felix? on loan for £10 million. I think Arsenal really felt the benefits of getting their business done early last summer. And I think they're desperate to do that again. They're desperate to be in a position going into pre-season where they know what they want, where they, or, or sorry, where they know what they're going to be, where they've done the majority of their business, still active in the market, keeping their ear to the ground for any opportunities that may present themselves to be there to pounce if indeed that does happen. But I think... They recognise, and they recognised it at the start of last summer, hence why they moved so quickly, the importance of getting people in early, allowing them to settle down, spending time with them on the training pitch and um, and, and helping them to understand the Arsenal slash Arteta way before they're asked to go out there and deliver on the pitch week in, week out. Richard says, I'm trusting their talent ID. Um, we're thin in our second 11. We need a solid five or six off the bench to challenge on all fronts. And don't forget, Chelsea have to sell to comply with FFP by the month's end. Charlie says, Harry, I keep getting told we can't do two transfers at a time in regards to Caicedo and Rice. Why are we negotiating for habits now before Rice is done? And even Caicedo, who uh, we are rivaling Chelsea for. So I'm not saying that we can't do two transfers at the same time. That's not what I'm saying. I, I don't think that we can afford to pay 100 million for Rice, 80 million for Caicedo and still strengthen in attack, which is clearly something Arsenal want to do and strengthen in defence as well. I think that we're going to have to compromise somewhere. When it comes to... Um, to the, the Kai Havertz thing, or even the Declan Rice thing. The truth is, guys, we don't really know when we were negotiating. We don't know when these conversations took place. Today is when the report came out, but it doesn't mean that it happened today. And I'll give you a sort of slight indicator as to why I think, for example, the Declan Rice chat happened long before we heard about it and long before we knew for sure that it had happened. West Ham United just last week won the Europa Conference League. And the next morning, David Sullivan, the chairman, came out and said, yep, we're letting Declan go, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I remember hearing that interview and I mentioned it on this podcast and I thought, what on earth are you doing? What kind of business is that? Why would you come out and say that? Doesn't it weaken your negotiation position? Of course it does. It's crazy. It's ludicrous to be coming out and saying that. What you should be saying is, look, we don't want to let Declan go, but Declan wants to go. And therefore, we're going to wait and see if an offer that matches our valuation of the player comes in. That is that. Putting the pressure on the sides that are interested to go out there and table an offer that turns ahead, interests people. 
which suggests to me for him to say that means he doesn't care about his negotiation position, which meant that he probably had already had discussions with Arsenal and he probably already felt that headway had been made, progress had been made and a deal was not a million miles off. So that would suggest that that conversation happened weeks ago, which is way before we knew it had happened. And this Kai Havertz thing could have also happened weeks ago. Doesn't necessarily mean it happened today. So I, I'm just saying that we just need to be a bit mindful of the fact that sometimes we don't get information straight away and we still only have a part of the picture as opposed to the full picture on this. Um, what else have we got? I'm going to take one or two more comments um, and then... And then I will uh, I will say my farewells. The DJ Suite says, Harry, I was only saying to you the other day that I don't want any more ex-City, etc. But in Havertz's case, we need to put pride away. There's a player there and Arteta can unlock that. I think he can. You're right. Uh, St. Francis says, Harry, how much was Kai when he went to Chelsea? He hasn't elevated his game or his team. So how do we justify anything above £40 million? Well, there's a couple of factors here. So first of all... Um, you're right in pointing out that he joined Chelsea for a lot of money, a lot of money. I'll bring it up exactly. I remember it being around about 70 odd million, at least up front. I don't know what the total value of that deal was. According to transfer market, it was 80 million euros. It's probably about 74, 73, 74 million pounds. So I get that, you know, you would look at it and say he hasn't really been a success there. Therefore, we need to significantly drop the amount of money uh, that we're willing to pay off the back of that. And as a result of that, what I would say to you is that if you want to buy from a rival, you have to pay a premium. You have to make an offer that Chelsea cannot refuse or feel would be silly to refuse. We know about their situation. Dan explained it very eloquently and very clearly, very concisely. But at the end of the day, they'd still be giving the player to Arsenal. And so therefore, they're going to drive a hard bargain as are we. And so the chances are someone is going to lose in some way if the transfer is going to happen and go through. And if you really do believe he's the one, then I guess you don't mind conceding a little bit. In our case, that would be paying slightly over the top. But hey... Uh, we'll see how it goes. Look, I I'm going to sleep on this one and um, we're going to get back to doing the Chronicles of Aguna blogs from the morning. Um, looking forward to doing one of those um, in the next couple of days and getting that back off the ground as well. Uh, we're going to be back tomorrow, of course, talking the latest transfer news, but we're also going to uh, bring you guys a phone in a little bit later on as well, where you guys can come on and have your say. So stay tuned to the Chronicles channels uh, to be across that. Uh, Goon Gang says, why are there 600 in there that well, there were at the time uh, and only 150 likes on the stream? Guys, come on. The likes, we got to do better. We've got to do better on the likes. There's no reason why we shouldn't have at least 300. And it really, really does help me. We're getting closer to, I think, 27,000 subscribers as well here on YouTube. And then we can make a push for that 30K mark. We've got plenty of subscribers on audio as well, which is amazing. Not always easy to measure that because of the way uh the system works but yeah i mean if we got to thirty thousand, i would guesstimate that we're around about fifty thousand overall across the chronicles of aguna podcast which is amazing and way beyond what i thought was ever possible when we set out to to start this thing so i'm really grateful for the support but i'm going to ask you again for a little bit more support in the shape of hitting that like button and if you're brand spanking new to the channel, hit and subscribe on YouTube as well. Uh, in terms of the poll, would Kai Havertz be a worthwhile signing for Arsenal this summer? It's still slightly balanced in the yes side's favour. 55% of you say yes, 45% of you say no. But anyway, going to love you and leave you. Um, apologies for the show being an hour later than originally advertised. You can blame uh, Greater uh, Abellio uh, Train Network because basically there are shambles. Uh, so you can blame them for getting me home late, which meant that I had to start the podcast late and also had to jog home from the station, which when you're in my shape and it's as hot as it is in London today is never a pretty sight to come home, wipe the sweat from my forehead, sit down in front of the uh, 
the uh, <laughs> the camera and bring you guys a podcast. But anyway, thank you so much. My thanks as well to uh, the brilliant Daniel Childs. Make sure you give him a follow as well. And I will see you all tomorrow. Until next time, goodbye. All the best. Up the Arsenal. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.